What's your drink of choice? Uh, coffee, cream. Just black black coffee and well, cream? Well, this is Americano. Oh, okay. Do you do a cup of coffee first and then go to espresso later in the day? Yeah. That's my go-to as well. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm hopelessly addicted. Are you? Have you have you tried not to drink it? You get the headaches? I haven't in a while. Okay. No. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Just you're 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 addicted and you're comfortable with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I think that's the one addiction all Christians are okay with the addiction to coffee. <laughs> right? No judgments. There. <laughs> right. Hey folks, welcome to the Park Church Podcast. I'm your host, James Lapine, and uh, this month of December we have another uh, partner with us, uh, and so Derek Kirkendall from uh, Providence Network is here with us. He's the executive director uh, at Providence Network, um, and uh, you've probably heard about them. We have folks who volunteer over there. Maybe you, maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you've given money to them, but they're doing uh, amazing work in the city that we're going to hear about today. Um, if you want to check out any of the resources that we talk about here on the show, go to parkchurchdenver.org slash park-podcast, uh, and you'll see Derek's name and picture there. You can click on that to get into the show page and the show notes uh, and just dive deeper on any of the stuff that we talked about today. Um, if you're enjoying the show, I haven't said this in a while, so I'm going to say it this month. If you're enjoying it, hop into iTunes and subscribe. Uh, that helps other people uh, find the show when those subscriber numbers go up or the ratings and reviews. When those go up, it just helps other people find the show. So um, if you could take a couple minutes and do that in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Uh, and that'll do it for me. We're going to jump into the interview with Derek now. Hey, Derek. Welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. And welcome to Park Church. Love being here. You big, said you, you've been here before. Sure. Big shout out to yeah? Park Church. Yeah. I mean, you all have been a, a close and dear partner of ours for a few years now. Yeah. And many people in the congregation um, have become familiar with us through volunteering and and uh, financially donating to mm. us as well to support what we're doing. So. Well, we love what you guys are doing uh, and excited to uh, tell folks who, who aren't aware Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what Providence Network is all about. But before we do that, I want you to tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, you have a Dutch last name. Very Dutch, both just, sides. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Nice. Yeah, um, we did one of those 23andMe recently. Oh, yeah. It's like 90-plus percent Dutch. Wow, extremely Dutch. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Um, my mom thinks that those are just a giant uh, – conspiracy to get your data maybe yeah i don't know but they were fun for us to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think my dad would care much less so i think we're gonna i hope he isn't listening to this i think we're gonna get him one of those for uh, christmas yeah. 23 and me so he can learn a little bit more yeah. um anyway we're not here to talk about 23 and me no. are we no uh tell me tell me about yourself where'd you grow up uh how did you get involved and then take me all the way to how, how you got involved with providence okay. network um, I'm a fourth generation Coloradan. Wow. Yeah, not a lot of us around. No but, kidding. Um, uh, grew up just outside of Boulder, okay. kind of in the Louisville area. Yeah. And went to university at um, the University of Puget Sound, small liberal arts college in um, Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. After graduating there, I worked for Young Life okay. uh, in Colorado Springs for the Dale House Project. Okay. which is a little bit of a, um outlier in the Young Life model. It was a group home okay. with kids coming out of prison um, or were in foster care. Um, and the home 
uh, was its own Young Life project and that the staff were Young Life staff. Mm. And so, um, and that's really where God kind of touched me in a special way towards the kind of work that my um, life trajectory went from there. Uh, Did so, you study to do this kind of work? Yeah, I was a sociology major okay. and an econ minor. and But just um, really through my college years, being in Tacoma, Washington, uh, at the time was a pretty gritty town. And so there were a lot of opportunities for urban work. Mm. And I volunteered quite a bit in college. And okay. I just really had this um, heart for um, life on the margins and those that were living there. So, yeah, after school, I, I did this um, Dale House project experience. Um, it was hands-on work, but also taking classes through Fuller Seminary. Okay. And so that kind of really married my faith passions with the work mm-hmm. um, in a unique way. Yeah. And so um, dated my now wife while we were both working for Young Life there at Dale House. Living and, in the Dale House together? Yes. Yeah? Okay, yeah. wow. Um, it, the model was that the staff lived on the block, okay. um, separate living quarters, than right, right. the kids, but we all kind of lived in community together. Cool. And so we got married, and we lived in Portland, Oregon for six years. Oh. And I got a Master's of Social Work from um, the University of, or Portland State University. Okay. And How many worked, degrees do you have here? Well, <laughs> just, that's it. I was done. Okay. Seminary degree and then a... Well, I didn't get a seminary degree. Oh, okay. I, I took classes. Got it. Fuller, but okay. I didn't, um, and, and actually, at that point in my life, I was kind of confused at a fork. I, do I go kind of the pastoral counseling um, route seminary, or do I go masters of social work, more um, working in maybe secular environments? Okay. And that's the route I ended up taking. Okay. Um, after I graduated with an MSW, I started doing community mental health, kind of family therapy. Um, in Portland? In Portland. Okay. And it was with uh, Medicaid families. Okay. And families that had uh, a child that um, had been adjudicated, had been arrested, mm. and so did some kind of family work with them. And I did that for almost two years, and I got completely burnt out. Right. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I just went to graduate school in order to do this work, and I'm not cut out for it, actually. Oh, man. So I had a little bit of a crisis of uh, identity there and and was able to to quit my job and do some construction work. Um, And at the same time, my wife got pregnant with Mm. our first child, Mm. and she had been working um, at the same time. So... Here I was, um, we were at a transition. We decided to move back to Colorado. Okay. And I got a job with the Lakewood Housing Authority. Okay. And uh, running all their family self-sufficiency programs. And so worked in Lakewood for almost six years and really got a lot of experience in housing and affordable Mm. housing. Mm. And this idea of merging services along with affordable housing. Okay. And services, yes, uh, counseling, job training, got it, um, financial literacy, yes, those kinds of things. Here's a place to live, and here's how to live. It, here's a place to live, and while you live here, we're going to give you a chance to, um, you know, improve your situation. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And then a friend of mine uh, called me one day and said that there was an opening at this urban ministry that he thought I might be good at, mm -hmm. and it was Providence Network. Okay. And so that was 10 years ago. I wow. just celebrated my 10th anniversary of being the executive director of Providence Congratulations. Network. Thanks. Yeah, wow. It seems significant to yeah. have been there that long. What was the actual date, you know? I don't. Okay. And, and that's a great question because um, in last spring, I went to a lunch meeting. Yeah with some people and before I knew it I was being walked into this other part of the restaurant <laughs> and there were over 50 people there oh surprise party for me to celebrate and, and part of why it was such a shock is I had no idea that that was the date that I started 10 oh, years previously okay I just remember it as the spring of 2008 yeah but no there was a specific day in <laughs> April and and our um, deputy director Karen Houston she's uh, amazing at uh, remembering those things and celebrating dates and yeah and so she put this together and and I was just uh, in awe of, that's cool of that are you a surprise gesture. party guy you're no no, no. no okay no. and so my family thought the look on my face was priceless because <laughs> they knew uh, fairly introverted guy and, yeah. and the idea of 50 people in a room um, on my occasion for was, you was right little... <laughs> right do they have a picture of that moment yeah. yeah yeah you'll have to send that to me that okay. can be the the podcast picture <laughs> yeah. that we'll put on sure the website it's my best look <laughs> <laughs> well okay wow so 10 years there and you've been executive director the, the whole time yes okay so what was the state of the organization when they were bringing you in um it it, it was uh there were a lot of challenges yeah financially okay um and so a couple of the first decisions we made were tough ones. Mm. We, we sold a couple properties mm. to get back on solid financial footing. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we were blessed with um, a couple of um, really generous donations and grants that wanted to help us um, grow. Okay. So ironically, we, we had to sell a couple of houses to get on solid operational funding mm -hmm. um, position, but then we were given this money restricted to buying a new property. <laughs> oh, wow. And we were starting to change our model a little bit, too, so this was an apartment building. Okay. And That you that you were purchasing? That, that we purchased uh, about a year or two after we sold the other two Got buildings. It. That, that was probably a hard time to sell properties, 2008. Oh, yeah. This was, I mean, this was at the the peak or the dip in the uh, recession, recession in, yeah. the, in the real estate market. Yeah. So not a great time to sell, but a great time to buy. Right, right. And so um, we sold these two little homes that were single-family homes. Okay. Um, and then turned around and bought um, a 23-unit apartment complex Whoa. in Curtis Park neighborhood. Whoa, wow. So... Is it still there? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And, okay. I, and we can get into kind of more what the life of Prov looks like now. But at yeah. that time, yeah, it was challenging. I mean, I had just come on in 2008. Um, the economy drops. Um, we are 100% funded by private donors. Mm. So we rely on churches and corporate sponsors and individuals and foundations to support us. So... That was a tough time. I think I didn't really know how tough it was, though, because mm -hmm. I had just started. Yeah. 
and it was I was that was the first time I'd been in uh, that position of leadership with an organization. So we just kind of trudged through, and yeah. I have a great board of directors that really helped uh, see this this through. So, um, and eventually we kind of climbed out and got back on solid ground. Mm. But yeah, those first few days, weeks, months, <laughs> a couple of years really were, yeah. were, when I look back, kind of a challenge. Yeah. How long has Providence Network been in existence? 30 years. Okay. So you came in at the 20 year mark. Yes. It's kind of in decline and you're brought in to, to revitalize it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was totally in decline, okay. but we needed a shot in the arm. Gotcha. I think. Yep. And yep. so um, I think we're we're back trajecting in the right direction. Yeah. Good. And have you have you changed the strategic emphasis over there? Well, yeah, we've made a number of changes. Okay. Uh, the model we have right now is a two tiered housing model. Okay. So um we serve people that are coming out of homelessness, either from addictions or domestic violence, uh, and then we um, <clears throat> bring them in, in in what we call first step housing. Okay. And that is this idea of kind of two years to get back on your feet. And two years is long yeah. when it, when you compare our program to other transitional housing programs. So two years, it's pretty intense. Mm. Um, case management, mental health counseling, uh, addiction sobriety training, job training. Um, and the idea is people that have been living on the streets, um, that have been oppressed by addictions or oppressed through domestic violence, really need two years to um, kind of relearn some new values and principles for themselves. And then once they take ownership of those, we feel like they can um, kind of launch from there. And okay. so that's where we created what's called next step housing. And yeah. so this is the second tier of our housing model. And that's these apartment complexes that we own okay. in the city where our people that have graduated from first step can go live out kind of the new values and principles that they've internalized in our first step mm, housing. Mm -hmm. And so it's very independent living, but it's a bunch of people that learned the value of living in community with right. each other. Right. So they're supporting each other on a daily basis. They're helping each other babysit kids. Um, they're giving rides to work. Um, they're hosting uh, Bible studies mm -hmm. or Bronco show Bronco games yeah. on Sundays and they're really living in close community because they've realized that's what they need mm -hmm. in order to stay sober in order to keep their job uh, in order to to stay accountable in their relationships yeah. so uh, that's the two-tier model that we've developed over the last 10 years and it's been quite successful awesome Yes. How did was it trial and error to land on that two year period? Mm. How'd you figure that out? Well, so our founder, yeah, his name's Andy Cannon, and he's a pastor okay. of a local church, Open Door Fellowship Church. Okay, and it was really his vision thirty years ago huh. to um, heal by living in community with each other, and so that's part of what makes us unique as uh, a housing a transitional housing organization is that our staff actually live in the homes with the residents. So it's a very life on life 
uh, incarnational mm-hmm. mentoring model. And so uh, that's, that's been growing and evolving over 30 years. And what we found at about the 20-year mark is that a lot of our residents could really do well in a, in a kind of tight community environment of two years. But unless they had somewhere to go move into after that that was going to continue to support their goals of sobriety and employment and staying in healthy relationships, a lot of them it was just a matter of time before they would slip back to old patterns of living because a lot of times they would just go where they could afford to live or they'd go back to old friends that was gonna that were gonna give them a room in their house and and so we thought what can we do to help that next step mm. of recovery mm. and so it was this idea of of adding these apartment complexes yep. which by the way has a kind of a double mission I mean it certainly has um, our social mission um, but it's also an economic and financial one in that the apartments Uh, We lower the rents low enough that our folks can afford them, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's enough from the rents to cover the overhead of the building and then kicks some money back into our general fund Mm. to help offset the higher costs of the first step homes. Got it. So it's a pretty financially sustainable model with these two tiers. That's cool. And so you said you have five properties in the we first now year? have six six okay so just in the last year we've added two more properties cool okay very very aggressive yeah <laughs> but really because of opportunity okay um are those typically single family homes so we now own three single family homes and then three apartment buildings and so they pair oh, together wow. okay so wait how do, how does how many people do you have in the first tier versus the second tier? Do people move out of the second tier at some point? How does, how does all that work? Yeah, we find that about 70% of our people in the, the, the next step properties move on within four years. Okay. And mostly for good reasons. Yeah. I mean, we certainly do have people that, um, that relapse or they, they break their leases just like any, uh, any apartment, um, arrangement but a lot of them end up with another couple years of sobriety and and employment are able to move into market rent mm. or uh, they get jobs out of state mm. or they go back to college or we've even had a handful of homeowners um, people That's that buy awesome. their first time homes wow yeah okay so typically the the in and out flow works out yeah yeah, yeah. and for the other 30% that have been there longer than 4 years um, you know, it, it's there, there's multiple populations in that demographic of uh, we've got some people on disability, mm. um, we've got some elder people, mm-hmm. um, and then we've got some people that um, uh, are single moms that are you know trying to raise their kids in a stable, affordable, nonviolent, drug and alcohol free environment. So for them, we're saying okay. You know, we want you to be able to raise that child in this environment if you're at risk to going somewhere where, you know, the, the child's going to be vulnerable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Normally I ask specific challenges and successes that you face, but I feel like we've hit some of those. 
But if you have stuff you want to talk about there, that's great. Well, I, I think specific challenges. Um, the population that we serve is growing. Yeah. And it's hard when we have one opening at one of our houses to have 15, 20 people show up. Yeah. And, you know, our model, we served 175 people last year. Okay. We project to serve over 200 this year. Wow. Because we've added the, the new homes. Um, but it's hard um, to turn people away. And at the same time, our model is to probably be more focused and pour more resource into few because we believe in the long run the outcome will be more positive. So that's kind of part of what sets us apart from maybe some of the bigger players in mm -hmm. town, Rescue Mission, mm -hmm. uh, Salvation Army. They are our partners. Um, and what they do really well is kind of that emergency short-term yeah. stabilization work. And so we get a lot of our residents that come out of those programs mm. after somebody decides they kind of want to, um, you know, be in a stable transitional program for a couple years, yeah. then they'll come to us. And so we're that next ring on the rung on the ladder mm -hmm. um, and then with our next step housing we provide another rung on the ladder yeah. which is a more towards independence but so we're, we're small and we're focused and we go deep um, with the individual rather than seeing you know the almost 5,000 homeless people in the metro area as being um, you know, our goal to serve all of them, yeah. it's, we can't. Yeah. And right now, our really our DNA and our history is to really just um, pour a lot into individual in mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Individuals. Um, what do you do when 15 people show up and you have one spot? How do you, how do you all make that decision? It's tough. Yeah. Um, we don't take any mandated clients or residents, meaning... Um, we we won't take anyone that a judge has sentenced to one of our oh, okay. um, homes. So there's uh, no external motivation for our uh, residents. It has to be all internal. They mm. have to decide for themselves that they want to be there. And that's kind of how we run our program. It's highly accountable. But bottom line is like if this isn't working for you 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 can leave like mm. you, nobody's telling you you have to be here yeah and so we're looking for motivation yeah. during the interviews yeah. and many people it's just not the right time for them mm. a lot of them come thinking that they just need housing mm. and then they realize this is much more than just housing yeah um and so a lot of people kind of weed themselves out mm -hmm. initially. But for those that really are trying to get into the program, um, it's, it's mostly motivation. Yeah. And uh, we never just say, sorry, you didn't make it. Mm. We try to be encouraging. We try to give them information of other places that might be a, a good fit for them. We try to make sure nobody leaves without some sort of information and encouragement. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, any specific stories that come to mind of, of um, late that you'd like to share? <laughs> well, I should probably back up and give a little bit more background. I feel like I, I glossed over a little bit. So we have okay. three first step homes, and each one of those homes serves a, a unique population. So, for instance, Providence House serves single men and single women who are overcoming substance abuse. Okay. 
Then our Joy House serves moms and their children who are escaping domestic violence. Mm. And then just within this past year, we opened a, another home called Silver Lining House. And that one serves um, young, homeless young adults from the streets, so that 18 to 25-year-old age mm. group that is growing in Denver. And that one is a partnership with Dry Bones Denver. Okay. Dry yeah. Bones is a ministry that does um, uh, street outreach. They befriend and, and do mentoring for um, homeless street youth. And so we created this home where they are kind of the referral pipeline mm. to the home, and then they stay involved as um, mentors and friends of the of the young adults. So um, each one of those homes kind of has a, its own little focus yeah. to the program. And when you ask about a story, I mean, each one of them have stories, but I, I, I keep thinking about um, one of our Joy House moms who... Um, you know, was referred to the Joy House um, from a detox center. She had overdosed, and um, her child had been taken away from her, mm. and uh, she was a heroin user, and she was suicidal. Mm. And um, after she got out of detox, she had to go to Suicide Watch, and it was from there that she was referred to Joy House. Um, and they told her, you know, this place is faith-based. Yeah. Um, that's integral to the, their program. So just a, a heads up. That's And she said to herself, you know, maybe that's what I need. Hmm. So she came to Joy hmm. House and, like a lot of folks, was desperate at first. And then um, she uh, started to... Um, get more sobriety and she started to make some real strides in her personal life and then um, the child protective services saw that she was in a stable place both at joy house and just personally and so they they were um, they gave her her child back wow so she she got custody back of her child and then that child became a primary motive to her to really heal. And so she just recently graduated from Joy House wow. and has moved into one of our next step buildings with her child. And I just think all the all, all the barriers she was able to overcome um, to get her life back on track. I mean, talk about uh, biblically, you know, the orphans and the widows. Um, you know, that was a case where she was kind of both um, and her child. And being able to serve her, not in a way that just kind of provided shelter for her, but really encouraged her hmm. to take ownership of her life yeah. and, and as yeah. a parent. Uh, and now she's on a course that um, she has a chance to change the generational cycle with um, her child now living with her in a stable, affordable, drug and alcohol-free place, which, um, you know, she she had come from generations uh, of that. So yeah. I think it's a good example of the potential we have right. to really make lasting change, not only in individuals' lives, but throughout a family system. Yes. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, are the apartments population-specific? 
No. No. So once you graduate from one of our homes. Sorry, the the first tier apartments. Mm-hmm. No, the first tier are single family homes. So it's you're living oh, like you said, a family. I thought you said the apartment buildings were first tier as well. No. No. Sorry. Okay, got it. Yeah. So you have the three homes that are first tier, yeah. and then you have four apartment buildings. Three first tier homes, three second tier. Got it. Buildings, got it. Okay, sorry. Apartments. I was totally, totally confused there. Well, okay. it's changed a lot even yeah. in the last year. So the second story is that um, it was about a year ago in December where uh, a friend of mine that works for the Denver Rescue Mission, Josh Japelk, called and said, hey, we're closing down one of our buildings. Mm. Would you guys be interested at all in in buying it from us? It's important to us that this building stays kind of with a mission-minded, faith-based organization. Mm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, we're not even done raising money for the youth home that we just moved kids into <laughs> and and this opportunity to to buy another uh, building uh, I, said, uh, I don't know but uh, I talked to my board we went on tours of the building and we just decided that it was an opportunity we couldn't pass up mm. it turns out it was Champa House which is a home that they had been running for over 20 years that served uh, moms with kids single moms and it happens to be only two doors south of our Clawson house which okay. is is a two tier a second a next step building of ours okay. so the ability to own you know a 23 unit apartment and then two doors down own the 13 unit apartment yeah. building just felt like um you know something that we needed to heed mm-hmm. and so through a series of events we had a donor of ours uh, agree to loan us the money, um, which was $1.5 million for two years and give us two years to raise um, the money. Um, And then the Anschutz Foundation locally also gave us $250,000. So we bought it for 1.75, which was actually a great deal. (laughs) Um, It had been appraised at over 2 million. And so Denver Rescue Mission essentially, um, you know, offered it to us at that price so that we could buy it and get it done yeah so we've been working on it and we hope to have nine people moved in by christmas wow um and then the remaining four units will work on um, and hopefully have people moved in by the spring renovations Um, yes yeah okay gotcha wow that is so cool yeah so we've grown quite a bit yeah even in just the last year yeah but we feel like we have a unique offering to the city Mm -hmm. and we feel like you know we'll never be as big as the rescue mission or um you know some of the others but we do have a unique way of um, addressing the homeless issue Mm. and so we do want to grow kind of um horizontally what we call horizontal growth which is to serve more people at the same time we're dedicated to growing vertically mm. as well, which mm. means to us that we're going deeper with the people that we do serve. Yeah. And so how can we um, improve the services that we provide with those that we're already um, housing to go deeper with them and mm. help them make um, you know, the, the changes that they want for their mm. lives? Mm. Um, 
I'm sure there are people listening at this point who are inspired and who want to help mm. um, outside of financial donations. What are the most, what are the ways that park people have been the most helpful to y'all? Yeah. Well, being kind of a real estate ministry yeah. uh, with six homes now, there's no shortage of projects huh. with the homes. Okay. Um, and so construction stuff. Yeah. Okay. Maintenance stuff, yeah. landscaping stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's quite common for me to go to one of the homes and come across a, a group from a church of, you know, six to eight people that mm. are painting or mm-hmm. something. Um, and so that's always helpful because that's stuff that normally we'd have to pay an outside contractor to do. Gotcha. So that has, um, you know, real value to us. Um, but then there's also opportunities over the years where people have wanted to be really committed, consistent donors and they uh, are volunteers. And maybe that includes um, bringing a meal to mm. one of the homes uh, to serve, but to also stay and join uh, the home for the meal. Yep. Um, those kinds of things. Um, and then people are just getting creative, I feel like. Um, you know, maybe you uh, throw, a, you have a birthday party and you say instead of presents, mm-hmm. um, maybe bring some dishware that we'll donate to one of the Providence homes. Okay. Um, you know, people are running races and raising funds uh, in our name. Awesome. Um, you know, anything you can do that's kind of already part of your social network. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it's working out or being in triathlons or it's, you know, going out on a Friday night with your friends, maybe you do something creative one night and and have one of our staff come and give a presentation and mm. and you guys brainstorm ways that your group of friends of 20-somethings can do something for a Providence network. I mean, yeah. we're always open for other people doing things that they're good at <laughs> and they're, they're talented at yep. um, and have us be kind of the beneficiaries of it. Create your own job. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Okay. And, and ProvidenceNetwork.org. Correct. That's where people would go. Yes. And there's a volunteer tab there or something. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we have a, an interesting opportunity coming up this weekend. I think it's already been, we already have the volunteers we need. Okay. And I think a number of them are from Park Church. Um, we have this annual Christmas event oh, yeah. called Mr. Hugs yeah. Christmas. And Hugs stands for Hand Up Giving Store. And what we found about 10 years ago was that all these really well-meaning donors would kind of flood our homes with gifts at Christmas time. And it kind of created this frenzy at the homes where our residents would rush to the living room and they'd start fighting with each other over these Mm. gifts and who was going to get what. And we thought, you know, that kind of contradicts what we stand (laughs) for the rest of the year. So how can we turn this into something different? And at the time, um, you know, we had heard of these stores at Christmas as a more empowering way for people to experience the, the generosity of donors at Christmas. So we started taking all those gifts that donors were giving to us and we set them up in a store like arrangement with a cashier and personal shoppers and present wrappers 
and it became this thing yeah. annually. Now yeah. it's a huge party where we have all of our residents, our alumni, mm. volunteers, and it's this huge three to 400 people show up and mm. it's a store on one half of the room. Okay. And then the other half of the room, there's a band playing Christmas carols, Santa Claus, um, and catered food. And, oh, nice. And, um, and it's a great chance to connect. And so the residents will shop for these items, and they're very low-priced, $1, $3, $5 yeah. for new items. Yeah. And when they go to the cash register to purchase these items, they get to to designate where the proceeds from that purchase mm. will go. We have two local ministries that we partner with. Every year we pick different ones, and, and then those proceeds go towards those other ministries. So it's a very kind of pay-it-forward experience yeah. for the resident yeah. um, to feel. And so that's that's been an added uh, kind of feature to mm -hmm. the store experience. And, and it's huge. I mean, that mom at Joy House on Christmas morning yeah. and her kids get to open presents that she actually provided for them rather than something that was given to her. It's pretty, pretty empowering. Yeah. And so, um, it's, it's, it's one of the highlights of our year on our event calendar mm -hmm. is the Mr. Hugs Christmas. We love it. Uh, you know, we announced it a couple of weeks ago here at park and I just want to say well done. Park Church, because I saw all the presents that you brought at the uh, in our gallery area there. So good job. Is there anything else that uh, you want to share or that we can be praying for y'all specifically? Well, I, I just think overarching, uh, I want to be very grateful specifically to Park Church, mm -hmm. uh, but to the church in general. I think we have um, done something unique in that we're providing a service to the community through housing. Um, that is very expensive. Yeah. And the truth is most housing providers rely on government subsidies. Mm. And we have not done that, um, largely in part because we've been able to survive based on the generosity of the church and church folk. And so I, I want to be very grateful uh, of that situation and at the same time while we're you know trying to strategize our growth yeah um, and do that wisely um, we're you know we're, we're starting to look at what are all the options on mm. the table for that mm. and so as we kind of go through this season a, a prayer an overarching prayer for the organization is um, being able to grow wisely um, and to you know, continue to keep our principles that ha have been part of our 30 years of success uh, near and dear and in practice. Yeah, yep, great. Wisdom is always a good thing to pray for, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, let's see how you do on these rapid fire questions. Okay. You ready? Da, 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 da. Uh, this one's easy, iPhone or Android? I see an iPhone there. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm a devotee for years. For Apple? Yeah. Yeah, glad to hear that. Mac. Yeah. I haven't had many Android people on this show, and that's a fact that I'm proud of. Uh, best meal that you've had recently? Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving meal? Well, so I had a special uh, year, Okay. Uh, Thanksgiving this year. My yeah. dear um, mother-in-law took me and my wife and our four kids 
to Kauai for Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah, it was a real treat. Um, she uh, is a widow, and her husband and she used to visit Kauai once or twice a year mm. during their retirement, and it was a special place for her and we had never been there so she wanted to take us there and amazing show us so so did you have spam for thanksgiving no i didn't i had sushi <laughs> oh nice and she treated us that night um to a, a nice restaurant and it, it was uh, some of the best sushi i've ever had oh i bet so wow. don't cry Favorite too hard role? for me. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not I, crying I'm, at all. I'm in Kauai eating sushi. <laughs> I know you feel awful for me. <laughs> Do you, did you have a favorite role from the night? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was a cobra role. Okay. There was actual cobra in there? No. Okay, okay. But it had, uh, oh, and some sushi yeah. connoisseur is going to laugh at me. I, um, I think it had spicy ahi and a couple other things oh, just, yeah. just, just but yeah. it was caught that day or supposedly it was so wow are you a soy sauce you dip it in the soy sauce wasabi too oh, yeah. yeah you like it spicy yes. yeah same edamame yeah yeah we did have a plate of that there you go okay. so yeah easily that's been my best recent meal. that sounds pretty good <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, nerdiest thing that you're into, like the thing that you kind of don't want to tell me about. Nerdiest thing, I, I have geeked out on a number of things over the years. Okay, um, I'm a really big University of Colorado football fan. Okay, and kind of jockey, but not really. I kind of in, am interested in a lot of um, the business side of it. Okay, and it, it goes back. Generations. My grandfather was actually the team doctor in the '60s wow. for the football team. Okay, and so I grew up as a kid selling hot dogs at the games <laughs> and the programs. And so the geekiest thing that I'm not like really out about is that <laughs> uh, I go to chat rooms and I and, and I forums have, and yeah, forums yeah. and I. Have struck up some relationships with some of the the beat writers, and oh, wow. I just love, you know, yeah. the details of what's going on up there. So, so you were you're shouting hot dogs and uh, selling programs. Really? And, yeah. Wow. Do you, can you give me an impersonation from back in those days? No, I was more the silent. Like, the feel quiet. sorry for me. I'm a little kid <laughs> trying to sell programs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Right. Okay. <laughs> So sales, that, that, that's not, yeah, it's not your thing. Okay. Um, okay. And then the guy that I mentioned before we hit record, Tim Ferriss, whose podcast uh, kind of inspired me in some ways to start this one. He has a question that he asks every guest. And so I've stolen this one from him. Uh, and I think you're going to hate it because of it's kind of a deeper question. If you could uh, put a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you put it and what would it say? It would it would probably be in a city. Yeah, I feel like I have a heart for the city. Yeah, so that might narrow it down. <laughs> <coughs> That's a great question, yeah. and I'll probably leave here and have you know this really great answer. Yep, but probably it'd be in in the city, and maybe it's just a big billboard that says "Why" with a question mark. Yeah, I feel like. A lot of us driving around, riding around, and 
uh, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're bitter, and we don't really stop to ask, you know, why am I doing all this? Why am I living this way? Um, just see a lot of it in the city, whether yep. it's, you know, in, in the skyscrapers on 17th Street, or it's um, under a bridge. It's mm. the same kind of question. So. Brilliant. The unexamined life is, is, is not worth living, right? Um, okay. I'm done. I don't have any other questions. Great. You good? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Park Church Podcast. I think this is our last one of the year. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll double check on that. But uh, if it is, uh, have safe travels and, and a Merry Christmas. And we'll be back in January with something. I'm not sure what yet, uh, but uh, I will let you know once I know. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've been listening this whole year, you've heard from amazing people uh, who are doing great work in this city and then across the world. Um, and so we're grateful for your financial generosity that allows us to support these people. As I've mentioned on a Sunday, I think we give away close to 14% of our budget um, to the folks that I've interviewed this year. Um, and so I, I guess I'll go ahead and say, if you haven't made a, a year end gift, I'll, I'll, I'll just remind you of that gift. I should enunciate a year end gift. Uh, we would love for you to hop onto parkchurchdenver.org and click that uh, give tab and just consider making uh, a year-end donation um, if you are able to do that. Um, so yeah, uh, giving above and beyond at the at the end of the year is something that is a, a rhythm for us. Uh, it's a way to uh, give back uh, as we look on God's generosity to us. And so uh, please consider doing that. And uh, that'll be the end of my pitch there. And uh, I'll see you in 2019 with a new episode of the Punk Church Podcast.